We're continuing where we left off last uh, session, and it is December 8th, 2019. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. For we are God's workmanship. That's the title. When we think about God's workmanship, this says that we are the product of God's work. However, we are not just the product of God's work. We are his magnum opera. This is the greatest work he ever performed. The Father is proud of the work he planned and uses us, uses it to show forth his own character as it is as its creator. He removed any tint of sin and evil from us, and we will stand holy and blameless in his sight. When we look at ourselves, we cannot see how this glorious word applies to us. We should never focus on our limitations. But our focus should be on the work of God. Being confident of this. That he began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The work in us will not be carried to completion. By our work, but by the work of God in us. We can have confidence in his work by faith. Looking away from ourselves to the Father's plan, something marvelous for us. Since we are God's workmanship, we must be here for a very special purpose. We are designed to be an extension of God's presence and his purpose. We are equipped by God to do what he called us to do. All the assets we have been blessed within this age and are given with our specific purpose in mind. While we are here on the battlefield, we are perfectly equipped to do God's will. The victorious path before us has already been tried by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not here to make our own way, but to walk by faith in his steps. There's a good there's a good comment on this um, passage here that for we are God's workmanship. So in order for us to really be in completion with this, we must do the will of God by studying his word and let that word be the, be renewing of our focus of our mind. See the plan that we have is the Father's plan, and he has equipped us to do this, not of our own. We can't do this on our own merit. We can't just do it on our own will because, like, we had a discussion before about, in, in Romans, about, it talks about our sin nature, about we cannot be destined to do this by our sin nature. we got to have being transformed by the renewing of our thinking, and about to produce good works. Without that, we cannot, we're not going to perform God's, we can't be God's workers. We cannot even 
circumstances what God has provided for us to do as you do. So look at this verse that the only thing, the only way we can do this is by taking in the word of God on a daily, daily presence and let that word manifest in our life. So I like this, but we are God workmanship. It brings me back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, and it says that we are created in God's work to do good, good, good works. We are. A lot of us will do it, a lot of us won't. A lot of us will fall by the wayside. So it's not the fact that God wants to do that, but using our own free will and our volition, we can decide to do good or bad. So that's what I'm taking out of this, this whole concept about for we are God's workmanship. And I thank God for presenting this to us for our thought of the week. And now the white leaders in prayer. Thank you very much, Dave. Before I go ahead and lead us in prayer, I will be praying for our families. Are there any other special requests in addition to that? Yes, uh, this is the Clark family. And those are the ones that had that terrible accident. Uh, last I heard, there's still someone in ICU. So, uh, just praying for them. And pray for my family as well, especially for my ex-wife. She's still in the hospital. Like she has, my daughter told me that she was talking to her mother. My mother has a fearful expectation about dying. So I know she's going through a lot physically, but also now it's fun. It's also affecting her mental health also. So we're going to keep yeah. her in prayer. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's bow our heads before God as we come to him in prayer. But also, Dwight, we want to keep Bill in prayer so yeah. we know he's not working and busy. We want to keep him in prayer too, okay? And his family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Let's bow our heads as we come to God before in, in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful privilege to be able to look deeply into your word, to be to connect with the deep thoughts of God, your deep thoughts through the Holy Spirit that is in us. We have the mind of Christ. Help us to exercise that mind. Help us to be focused on what you have for us, what you have made of us. And let us not be distracted by the things of this world, things that we need to do, travel and work and chores and errands. Um, those are things that we must do, but help us not to get consumed by that. Help us to remember that our minds can be focused on, on Christ always. We are to pray without season, with supplication and thanksgiving. I pray for everybody on this call. Dave, Bill, Fred, Henry, and especially our Pastor Doug and all of our families, uh, immediate family and extended family, whether lost or saved, um, we think about them often and ask you to uh, to bless them, to uh, dwell them closer to you. Um, I pray for also the, the Clark family, understanding that um, they still have a family member who is in ICU, and we pray that you would intervene and you would protect that person and see them through this, and uh, and also you know testify to their spirit that you are God, and that salvation comes through you. 
a pretty produced family, and especially his ex-wife who's still in the hospital with lupus, and uh, understanding that her thoughts um, might be on leaning toward the dark side of things and um, thinking about dying. And um, let us all be mindful of our mortality here and, and realize that we have only precious moments to be spending in the, um, the workmanship that God has created for us and created out of us. I also pray, with, uh, pray for Gretel um, with her cancer treatments going um, as she concludes the uh, chemotherapy session and uh, prepares for the next phase of her treatment. And I pray for uh, words to church, wherever they may be, and also the, the uh, Christian church worldwide, the body of Christ, that they may be living and active and that their hearts might be enlightened to the inheritance that we have been given. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you, uh, Dwight. Hello and Dave as well for uh, taking care of those and we're going to move right into our study and our focus now is John chapter 14 and verse 7 so you should have notes for today and John 14 7 says if you really knew me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Our Lord's relationship with the Father is a model for us, for our spiritual life. By allowing us to see the disciples' mistakes, it seems the message to us is to learn and not repeat their missteps. As we watch how patient our Lord was to them, he continues to be long-suffering to us as well and all our failures. As we discuss the dynamics of our Lord's spiritual life, we will see the intimate position of the persons of God in us. While we are here on the battlefield, we have the understanding and hopefully the experience of our relationship with Christ. The largest lesson lesson we can see in the context is in the word humility. The more humility we have towards God, the more he can lead and guide us into his reality. Christ modeled this new spiritual life and we do not want to be on the sidelines as spectators to this unique life. But as Peter said, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Second Peter 1 4. So this, again, we have been at this verse for, um, because it comes along a context that we have been discovering. So I want to continue along those same lines with the same thought as we delve into more information that started with the question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, 
truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we are going to talk about that. Uh, if you really knew me, we're going to start breaking it down. And there's a lot here. So we will get to it. We may, I don't know if we're going to finish it, but we'll take a stab at it. If you really knew me or know me. So it's really past tense because um, he's, he's remarking that, look, you, you really should know me. And as the context will reveal, haven't I been with you this long and you, don't you know me? So he, he knows that they know him. But what they haven't understood is knowing him is equal to knowing the Father. So let's just get into it. Jesus questions their knowledge, and I say yet again. <laughs> so when I say he questions their knowledge, I mean these are things they should have known. And I got a couple of places where he's, he, he's emphasizing that. In verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And then and again, and, and uh, he says, and if I go, uh, I will come back and take you to be with me. And he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. You know it. Uh, meaning, I've told you this already. And... I'm questioning you again based on our previous conversations. You know the way, you know. Would I have told you that if that were not so? And then in our verse, he says, uh, to verse 7, same thing. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So he's very confident about what he has talked to them about in previous lessons. We could say in previous Bible studies, because their whole time with him was like this huge Bible study, uh, fraught with illustrations and metaphors and, you know, true life examples of people coming up to him asking questions and the disciples seeing how he managed that whole uh, situation. His spiritual life was on display for those disciples. So... Here we have, um, that's the first thought. He's questioning their knowledge again. And, uh, you know, I can't help but make some observations for our lives. You know, we could probably be in the same category. Because I'm sure we, you know, things are very obvious. I'm sure we've read them. We've been told that these things were so. But then, for some reason, they don't stick. You know, we, we just we heard these things, but we haven't put them where they actually belong. So let's go on to the next point. For the disciple from the, the disciples' perspective, they thought they knew Jesus. Right? If Jesus was he says, Don't you know me? In their minds, of course we know you. But but my question is, but then why did they ignore his teaching? Now, if you look at Matthew 16, which is my verse, um, you'll see where I'm going with this. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, where Jesus says, he, he, he did ask the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Because when he says that, he was trying to get 
the consensus. What are people saying about me? What are they saying about who I am? Do they know that I'm the Messiah? And we know Peter's going to answer this question. And Jesus is going to say, correct, you have the right answer. The Father revealed this to you, you know. We already know that. But I'm interested in his questions. Who do people say I am? But guess what? They replied. It didn't say who replied, but it says they replied. Maybe they all chimed in and had different answers. But in verse 15, he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, this is interesting because it's one thing for people who are not following Jesus to have opinions about who he is and maybe, you know, they're linking it to something or some hearsay or the disciples have firsthand knowledge of who Jesus is. They've been with him. They've slept with him uh, on his journeys, eaten with him. You know, gone to, you got up in the morning early and gone to different places with him. They know his patterns and what he likes and doesn't like. They understand and they're following him. What do they think is more important? And we know with the story how it develops. One of the things that comes out in this exchange is that their view of the Messiah is not the same view that is what Jesus had in his from the Father, what his instructions were. He had to go to the cross and so forth and so on. So their view of the Messiah was not the same view that Jesus had of what his role was. That's interesting to know because it's not like, you know, he never taught them. It's just that they never received what he was saying. You can People can teach but you have to be on the receiving end to receive it. And when I say receive it, not just to say, yeah, I heard, I heard the teaching. Right? I know, I could tell you what some of the other denominations believe about this. or what the, I've heard what they say, but what have I received in my heart? What do I believe about it? It doesn't really matter what those other people believe. I'm talking about you. What do you believe in your heart? That's what Jesus questioned the disciples about. You guys have been following me. You, you're supposed to know me. And what, what do you believe about me? And Peter had the right answer. However, when the roles were determined, when Jesus said, well, here's what's going to happen next, that's when they rejected that. Not only did Peter reject it, all the other disciples, I'm sure, rejected it as well. Jesus' answer back to them was, you have in your heart the things of men and not the things of God. So the doctrine, the theology that they had about the Messiah was wrong. They took that theology from the things of men, the teachings of men, and not the teachings of God. So this is, this is an important verse. Right? It, it turns on a lot when we think about our understanding of what we believe about, and we wouldn't just say about Christ, but about many things, the mystery, the baptism of the Spirit, all the different things. What do we think about those things? And we could say, yeah, they're in the Scripture. I could even point you to the Scripture where, where they are found. But what do you think about them? What, like, what's in your heart about those things? What do you believe about that? Maybe different from what God is trying to teach us. 
That's what was happening with the disciples. Their hearts weren't in the right place. Point C. If you really knew, know me, Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, point C, this conversation should be based on the foundation he has established for three years. Right? He's saying, you, you know me, right? I've been, and, and not just me knowing and you see me getting up and going to work and coming home. I mean, what's in my heart? You should know what's in my heart. I've been teaching you about the Father, the Father this and the Father that. Everything is the Father. I've been talking about the Father incessantly. And you know where I'm coming from. You should know who, who I'm here to represent. And I, when I say, if you really know me, you really do know me. In the second half of the verse, he says, from now on, you know me. You do know me. And you have seen the Father. You know him. Because knowing him is knowing the Father. We're getting to that, but that's the point he's making. Uh, they've been under the teaching for over three years now. I mean, shouldn't they have some knowledge that Jesus has expectations of them at this point? The answer is yes, because listening to Jesus' words seem to say that he does have expectations, that they should have known this information. Point D. Whatever the disciples knew about Jesus, it was not what Jesus taught them about himself. Just think about it. He, Jesus taught, what he taught about himself was not what they had in their hearts. So there was a disconnect. We have to see that. And this is where I say they were treading on very, on very close to religion here. This is dangerous ground. If we go back, we're in already Matthew, so we'll go to 15, verses 7 through 9. What, what they had, what their expectations of the Messiah were, was not what Jesus had taught them about who the Messiah was. It's not like Jesus didn't teach them. Yes, he taught them. They could have just said, okay, well, maybe I had the wrong thoughts, but now I, Jesus taught it and I believe what is right. But no, no, they continued, even though Jesus taught them, they continued to hold on to what was wrong. So that's a disconnect here. And, and this is the same type of disconnect. Now, let's just level the playing field here. The disciples recover from this. Right? This, this is not fatal for them. And Jesus knows that, so he has... He, he labors with them. He, he continues to teach them over and over, if he has to, to emphasize these things. So, uh, and we should, let's read the verse, 7 through 9. You hypocrites. Now he's, he's talking to the Pharisees here. He's talking about the Pharisees. So you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And by the way, just to note, the Apostle Paul who was also known as Saul, the Pharisee, is a part of this. Right? This is what was in his heart as well. He, Jesus is characterizing him well. But obviously, Saul converted and understood, and he, God used him to write 13 out of the 26 books, 27 books that are in the New Testament. So certainly he recovered. 
But this is what he says about, generally speaking, the Pharisees. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely rules taught by men. And so, if you wanted to know what is religion, this is it right here. This is the essence of religion. They have adopted some rituals, some beliefs, some belief systems, whether they be moral or whatever, self-serving or society-serving they are. And this is what they teach as God's will for people's lives. People who fall into that, they're like, oh yeah, that's moral, that's a good thing, I'm going to, I'm going to, definitely do that and then if I do these things God will be pleased with me Jesus they did not consult the heart of God and this goes along with all the other teachings about the Pharisees about them being whitewashed tombstones uh, uh, first clean the inside of the cup and dish and the outside will be clean right they they're you know outside they're whitewashed on the inside they're like stink like dead men's bones so in essence this is what religion brings us. They don't pay attention to the Word of God. They, they don't look at the Word to derive what God thinks. They use the Word as, like Eastern philosophy uses the Word, their, their literature. And they'll take phrases from it and then they'll twist them to whatever they want them to mean. And then they use that as a moniker for life or some... Uh, statement that they found in scripture but it doesn't have to be what God thinks or what he's trying to teach it just has to be something that typifies what it is they believe that's religion they don't care what God has to say and then they have practiced their ritual so long they now believe that is what God wants they think that this is what pleases God and this is completely wrong notice uh, they honor me uh, with their lips and with their hearts, being far from them, from God. What's in their heart is not what God has in his heart. So what is the result? Verse 9, they worship me in vain. Vain is for nothing, to no good end, for no good, for no reason. In vain. And it's like wasting a t of our time, right? With, we're not worshiping God. Who are we worshiping? Ourselves? Uh, we're in this so that we understand that we have an obligation to worship God. So the objective is to hear what God wants. Like the scripture in Ephesians we've quoted and loved for years. Always be trying to find out what best pleases God. Like that should be our thought in this. Because... Obviously, if we're here to please God, and if he, we don't know what pleases him, we cannot fulfill his purposes. So, whatever the disciples thought they knew about Jesus was wrong. It was wrong. What did they need to do? They needed to just back out of that, or repent, change their mind, and listen to what Christ says, and put their faith in that. 
you know, a stark example of this is, as I always point to, is the resurrection. Resurrection wasn't out of the blue, like God decided to raise Christ from the dead. He told the disciples, and all of them, I'm going to rise, I'm going to be killed, and you know, this is in the context of Matthew, and I'll rise from the dead. Right? This, this is what it is. And none of the disciples, no, none of the women, as far as scripture is concerned, not, none was there. Uh, early that Sunday morning. The, the, well, the women, women were there, but it was only to anoint the body because they couldn't do it because of the Sabbath dawning as it was on Friday. So they were there early Sunday morning. But ultimately, no one believed. Even though Christ said it, that's the word of God. Believe in God, you also believe in me. Believe in my words is what he's saying. When I tell you these things, I'm telling you the Father's heart. I'm telling you what the Father's plan is. So you ought to believe what he says. I just hear hear a little background noise. Uh, so I'm going to just put that on mute there. Okay, so continuing with this thought. Let's continue with the next phrase. Right? So the next phrase here is, if you really know me, point number two, you will know my father as well. So first thing is, uh, just a little equation here. Sometimes I like to do this. Knowing Jesus is equal to knowing the Father. That's so according to what Jesus is saying. If you know me, then you know my Father as well. You already Just by knowing me, you know my Father. Well, why is that so? Because Jesus said, I'm about my Father's business. This is what I do. I'm here because of him and his will, right? his teaching, his thoughts. It's not his motivation, not mine. So just understand, it, when we talk about knowing Jesus, and he's saying it here, he's saying, well, you know the Father. So I've been displaying the Father. Knowing Jesus is equal to knowing the Father. Therefore, without knowing it, the disciples did know the Father. They did. They, we could say that. We could make that statement. Because Jesus is saying it, and I believe it. What he's saying is true. I'm not going to walk away and say, yeah, that's what Jesus said, but he, they really didn't know the Father. No, no, no. I'm going to say, because I believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about, and that he exemplifies the Father. He displays the Father in his spiritual life. And we'll talk about the dynamics of that a little later as we get to it. So... Um, the disciples did know the Father. However, and point B, they heard, but were not accepting the teaching. So let's just think about this. They heard, but they were not accepting the teaching. Jesus, what do you mean about the Father? Was this the first time he mentioned the Father? Couldn't have been, based on the previous verses that we saw, verses 2, verses 4, verses 7, right? He... he, he definitely exemplified the Father. He displayed the Father many times. So they, they should have known. Yeah, I know what you mean. But no, they, they played as though they had no clue. So they didn't accept it. They heard it before. So even if Jesus were to say, yeah, remember I taught you that back when we were on the mountain over in uh, you know Galilee or wherever? 
he could have said that to them, and they would have said, oh, yeah, 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 I remember when you taught that. Yeah, I remember when you said that then. And, and over here, you said it too. But it didn't matter how many times Jesus said it, because they didn't accept the teaching. They didn't believe the teaching. Now, before we go too far down this road, I have to say this. And I'm going to use John chapter 14, verses 26, uh, 24 through 26. Let's turn there. We, we have to make sure we say this. John 14, 24 through 26. It says, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's interesting. Loving him is equivalent to faith or trusting him. And loving him goes even a little bit further than that. Because it's loving his teachings. Right? If you don't if you reject his teaching, then you can't say you love him and then reject his teaching. Because he's all about teaching here. He's revealing the Father. If you're saying I like you as a person, but I don't regard your teaching, that's not gonna cut it. It's not gonna cut it at all. So Jesus is laying it out here. Uh, the words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So this is pretty basic understanding of how Jesus sees this, how he sees his spiritual life. So we have to note, um, the disciples, we can't really call them into question so much. We could. Now, there were times when Jesus said, you, are you you're not understanding this? Are you, you, you're dull when it comes to... We could see that, no doubt. But for, for these verses and for the things that were happening here, they were very new to the disciples. As I said, they had uh, what was in their heart was the things of men and not the things of God as it related to the Messiah. So it was clear that the, the disciples had wrong theology. And then, on top of this, to make this a little bit more complicated, the, these teachings never, they were not in the Old Testament. These were teachings that did not exist prior to Jesus unveiling them to the disciples. You couldn't read anywhere in the Old Testament where all these things that he's talking about were true or going to be or so forth. I'm not talking about the resurrection and so forth, but I'm talking more about the mystery. What would happen at Pentecost? And that's why we say, verse 25, it says, All this I have spoken while still with you. I'm here now talking to you, and I realize that Pentecost has not come yet. So what he says by this is, look, I, I know, I'm here, I haven't gone, but uh, I'm still here with you, and I realize that, you know, all this hasn't happened yet for you. So, but he says... In verse 26, but the Advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, if you weren't clear on who the Advocate or the Comforter is, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So there you have how it all comes together. The disciples, maybe they, they did not have obedience or faith in Christ's words because they were new and they were trying to grapple with them. They didn't understand fully where Christ was coming from. 
And uh, Christ is saying, not to worry. I understand. I, I'm going to be teaching these things. Uh, you know, I, hopefully you'll understand and you'll trust me and what I'm saying. But when the comforter comes, you'll remember. It, it, that's when the rubber will hit the road for you. You will have the Holy Spirit. He will be in you, witnessing the things that I've been telling you. I'm here with you now. I know you're not going to get it fully. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. So, yeah, they weren't accepting the words. They heard them, but they weren't accepting the teaching. So, point C, we will learn from the context that this relates to His living relationship, not simply memorizing doctrine. When I say memorizing doctrine, Christ... Christ the true experience is when the Holy Spirit comes, indwells them, baptizes them, fills them, gives them, all that. That's going to be the true experience for them. And that's not happening until Pentecost. Christ understands that. He knows. But, and, but even more so, if, what if they said, yeah, I get it. I understand it fully. No, they couldn't understand it fully because... The relationship part, the living part of this, is still missing until Pentecost comes. So it's not just a matter of memorizing scriptures you know, or, or being able to parrot uh, what Jesus says back to them. Jesus says, do you know who the Father is? Yeah. And they said, yeah, I know. Anybody who knows you knows the Father. So knowing you is the... They could say that all they want, but the reality of that doesn't come until Pentecost, where they actually will experience that. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Right? That relationship, that dynamic relationship, spiritually speaking, will not happen until later. So while we may chide the disciples for being slow, we may see them as, well, you know, they should have understood this. Yeah, we could say all that. But on the other hand, we have to also say, look, this was new theology. And if we use the early church as any measuring stick, man, the early church did not receive the teaching after Pentecost. And it became a dividing point down the road. Right? Uh, the man without the Spirit cannot see these things. The man with the Spirit, well, he can judge all things. He understands truth, right? The Spirit has made these things available to him, and now he has received the mystery and understood the, 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 the information that was destined for our glory before time began. So the Spirit is what makes the difference here. So I, I say, don't be too harsh. Look, the disciples were saved. Right? They understood uh, so we, we know that part. Now Jesus is saying, you guys are going to be the foundation of the church. I need you to be prepared for what is coming. So just, just understand, it's not about just, oh, if I memorize the doctrine. Even memorizing doctrine is not it. It's understanding it, accepting it. The Spirit will help you understand what it was, what it is, but then it is up to you to receive that into your heart so that you don't find yourself in the same position as those disciples. They heard what Jesus said, so they had knowledge, but they did not believe it. So what happens? The knowledge just sort of dissipates as time goes on. 
of what's in their heart, but they've accepted what they have cherished and, and prized in their heart remains. And what is that? Well, for them, it was the things of men, doctrines taught by men, the theology of their time. Right? So open, they needed to open their hearts and to believe the truth. Point D, let's move forward. Therefore, humility is most important in allowing the mind of Christ to live in us. That's verses 8 through 10, right? So when it says, the mind, when I say the mind of Christ to live in us, I'm talking about not just memorizing things, it's the dynamic relationship, right? That's what Jesus is pleading with the disciples to understand. It's not just, well, I told you this, so you should be able to tell me. He says, don't you know me, Philip? right? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So that's a relationship. It's not just, I learned everything the Father said and I'm telling you now. No, he's talking about that, yes, but in the context of a dynamic spiritual relationship. That's what we're talking about. That's what facilitates this. Not just you're memorizing some, some words that somebody said, but the Holy Spirit who is able to enlighten you. And then you are able to respond to that by faith and trust in what is being said and taught. And then being able to live that by making the proper applications to life, to your experience. That's how all of this plays out. Not simply by, oh, well, I know that. I've heard that before. Right? That doesn't transform you. So this is important that we see this part. This, this is about humility. Right? Um, it's most important when we when it comes to this, because even after Pentecost, right, when the Spirit takes up residence in you and baptizes you, a lot of these things are not felt, right? They're apprehended by faith, but experienced as we have apprehended. So we have to understand one, another point in this, the vessel is not important. Humility is the key. So when I say that, I'm saying the disciples were from all walks of life. From the simplest, well, they were fishermen. Right? They, uh, or it was a tax collector, somebody who was hated in life. Or religious people were involved. You know, and uh, we had Pharisees who who come. You know, Nicodemus and others, even though they weren't disciples. But when we talk about the Apostle Paul, right? He was a Pharisee. He he was. I would say, he was somebody who learned. Uh, and had to face uh, repentance when it came to believing the truth. So the vessels are not important. So it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the smartest person in the world. You could be the most simplest person. You get up, you just go to work with your hands. You just, it, nothing very, it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence at all. When I say intelligence, I mean worldly wisdom or human, uh, your human uh, wisdom. The only thing is necessary is humility. That's what this tells me. 
That's all. Humility. That's the key. And the disciples proved that. They weren't accomplished. Right? So that's why even the disciples would, Jesus would make a comment. They, they were braced by some of the things he said because they were on different dynamics than they had previously had in their theology. There was a question about uh, washing their hands before they eat or something, and some ritual washings. And Jesus said, that's not important for us to... We're not, we don't have to do that. And they said, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Now, the Pharisees are offended by what you said. You should know that. <laughs> See, So the disciples had some conflicts in their theology, and they were challenged. And Jesus is saying, listen, you believe in God... Trust me. You can tell that I've been doing these things. You know that God is with me. Just like what Nicodemus said. We know that God is with you because nobody can do the things you do except God is with them. We know that. So he's appealing to the disciples on the same plane. You know this is me. Trust me. You've been with me this long. Trust me. You've seen multitudes of miracles. John said... Uh, there was not enough books in the world to contain all the things that were amazing that Christ did, miraculous. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By believing, you might have life in his name. So understand uh, that it is important for us to pay attention to the Word of God. Right? Humility. If we want this dynamic relationship that Jesus had with the Father, it is ours. As we will read down in the verses to come, we will see this. But there are some conditions to it. We'll, we'll talk about what they are. So point E, the Father's thinking or his plan is merged with the life of Christ. So, like I said, it's not just Christ memorizing what the Father told him and then he just spits it out. Nope. When we say, Christ, when Christ says, don't you know me? So the fathers merge, just like we have been baptized into Christ, the same thing happened to Christ. Uh, we could say Christ was baptized into the Father. Same way we are baptized into Christ. So what does that make us? We are one with him, right? We identify with him. The properties that belong to Christ are now the properties that belong to us. And we could say that of the Father's plan. We're talking about two perfect people here. So it's the Father's plan. When Christ is baptized into the Father, or we're using the term baptized. Uh, I don't know of any scripture that talks about the baptism of the Spirit in Christ, but essentially what happened to Christ is the same thing that, was, that happens to us after Pentecost. So Christ was one with the Father. Father was in him, he was in the Father. We're in Christ, Christ is in us. Same thing. And the relationship is extended. Not only is Christ in us and we're in Christ, but the Father is in us too. As we will see as the verse uh, context gets to verses 22 through 23. So with, with the Father in us, that says that it is not just, you know, the baptism spirit isn't, isn't just us thinking we're in union with Christ or we're going to acquiesce to whatever Christ says. It is living, right? This is 
the Christian way of life is not just some memorization of theology or some being able, whoever can, can repeat the facts well. The Christian way of life is a living way of life. It is literally a person living in us. And that person is Christ. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And that's why we, we are, and this is this point is making this, is, is, we can't just say that knowing Christ means that we are just walking, mimicking what his steps were. It is literally understanding the Father's plan. So let's look at this point again. The Father's thinking, which is his plan, is merged with the life of Christ. So everything that the Father was and his eternal purpose, that is what Christ was. Knowing the Father is equal to knowing the eternal purpose. And you, I could turn to Ephesians but I think you know these verse, verses well already. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 say, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and, authority, and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Father accomplished this in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, how did that work? Well, that means Christ understood the eternal purpose of the Father. That's what this is to say. He accomplished this. He's not just talking about the fact that Christ, you know, accomplished the plan of salvation, which he certainly did when he was here. But what God was able to do in Christ was to, like he says, if I don't go away, and the comforter can't come to you. And if I go away, I will. My, he, he will come. And all of these things will happen. Right? He says, then after it's done, I will take you to and you know, come back and to take you to be with me into this special place where I prepared. So all of this is to say that Christ understands the eternal purpose of the Father. Right? The eternal purpose of the Father is what was being displayed in Christ as he walked the earth, as he told the disciples who he was, and who do men say that I am, right? He was, he was fishing for them to understand what his true role is and things that he had taught them. He wants them to bring them back to memory and to help. Now, he knows, as I said, we have to make sure we put this in, that he understands that the, not until the Holy Spirit comes would they be reminded of all these things, and he's laying the foundation for them so all of this is, he understands this. But knowing his eternal purpose, all these things were accomplished in Christ. So it's not about just doctrines. It's about lives. And lives speak to what that person is all about. Like, what is the Father all about? It's all about his eternal purpose. What is he doing here? Why did he create all things in the first place? Well, there's a reason for it to bring many sons into glory, that we might be conformed to the image of his son, that brothers and sisters. Right? All of those things are the eternal purpose of God. Right? And, and who are we? We are the church. We are his body, the fullness of him. So, so if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. So Jesus is not 
codifying the doctrines. He's codifying a person, the Father. And if you know the Father, then you understand who the Father is and what he's all about. It's not saying you know what the Father looks like. Well, he has a long beard, he, this, the white hair. That's what the, I know the Father. No, if you, know, if you think you know the Father that way, then that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about through the Spirit. The Spirit will make these things clear to you. Now, you can already see the dynamics of this in me, Jesus is saying. If you know me, then you know the Father now, because all of this is at work within me. It also talks about how God will be able to use us later in the church, how way more dynamic the church age is over any previous age. Literally, God is in us. So, Let's continue. This is this last point. I don't think we're going to have enough time to finish it all. I don't want to force it. But we'll just say, if you really knew me, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's definite, right? So the first point here is from now on, in other words, for the record, if you didn't remember, you just know it now. You do know him. They heard of the father's teaching, but it was not believed again. It's not that Jesus never told them before. He did. But remember, it was not believed. It's like the children of Israel says, the promises were, uh, they, were they heard the promises, but they did not mix them with faith, meaning they didn't believe the promises. So what were they given to? Given to their fears, right? whatever they thought in their hearts, human viewpoint. So in the same way, Jesus talked to them about these things, but they, they didn't trust what he said. They didn't believe it. It went in one ear. Yeah, I heard what you said. Well, maybe he's a bit confused. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to let it disrupt my theology. So they needed humility. And point B, I'm going to end with this thought, and we'll talk more about this next week. Humility is the nutrient-rich soil needed for us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we need. We need humility. Now, there's so much, and we're going to talk about the four things that I have here, and then we'll continue next week, but Without humility, we go nowhere. Now, this is not just for the church age or special mystery age or any of that. You needed humility from day one when Adam was lost. And we're going to talk more about what it is, but especially now, in order to grasp the new age thinking that we have from the mystery. Remember, uh, this was a dividing line in the church. The fact that this new information came by means of the Spirit coming to the earth. People rejected it. They said, no, we're not doing that. We would rather keep with the Mosaic Law. We don't know about these things you're talking about. Even though God demonstrated that these things were true through various signs, wonders, and miracles, he did it. He demonstrated that these men were telling or speaking for God. 
yet. They ignored all that and said, we will continue with the Mosaic law. We, we, we may believe in Christ. We may believe that he's the Messiah, but we will not believe that the Mosaic law is not binding upon people. We're going to continue in our Jewish customs and ways. The part where it says, in Christ there is no Jew, no Gentile. They don't believe. I said, no, no, no. Uh-uh. Can't be. We're not going to be in the body with Gentiles. We're not going to give them the same you know, privileges and responsibilities that we have in the church. They said, they, they're willing to, to follow that Jesus is the Messiah, but they were not willing to allow the Mosaic Law to be done away. They refused. And that was the dividing line in the early church. And I could say today, many people are divided over the same point today. They understand uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some of them, I can't say everybody, but they may understand that. But they refuse to relinquish their hold on Israel and the Mosaic law and the way that God dealt with Israel and the purpose of Israel and so forth. They refuse to accept that God has a new purpose for the church. We are a different people altogether with different dynamics, different destiny, different spiritual lives than that of Israel. We are not under the law. On and on, there's so many differences. So what is demanded from us more than anything? Humility. We don't want to be those who worship him in vain, teaching for doctrine what was previous. Rules taught by men. The theology uh, has to be altered by what God has told us in this new age. So we'll talk more about that next week. And since all of this new information is now dawned, we must meet the challenge by having humility, be able to not only understand it, but to embrace it. We'll talk more about this next week. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to focus our attention now on uh, this verse, which helps us understand the disciples' dilemma. And Lord, we want to have the humility to understand what you are teaching us, and not only that, to embrace it. It is, it is our intention to walk worthy of the calling we have received, to understand the depths of what you have given us, the eternal purposes that are in the mind of Christ, that are freely revealed to us. We thank you for Jesus and understanding that all things were accomplished in him and and that we now are in Christ as well. Help us to orient to the truth that makes us who we are and fulfills your eternal purpose. We all ask all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.